This is episode 51 with Dr. Michael Gervais. G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on your impactful journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm so pumped to bring you this episode with Dr. Michael Gervais. Mike is one of the world's most sought-after sports psychologists and works with elite athletes across many different sports, including the Seattle Seahawks NFL team, uh, NBA and MMA athletes, and a lot of the Red Bull athletes and projects from around the world, one of which we discuss in this episode, who is the world record holder for uh, skydiving, actually, and free-falling for over four minutes and breaking the sound barrier. The guy fell into the stratosphere at speeds of over 1,300 kilometers and Michael Gervais did a lot of work with him. Uh, the types of athletes and people that Mike works with are a testament to his deep level of knowledge on human behavior and our good old human mind. Mike focuses most of his time on people that are at the top of their game and has developed clarity for the tools that allow people to thrive under pressure. Now, one of the main reasons why I'm so pumped to bring you, Mike, is because he's been someone I've wanted on this podcast from before before I even started the podcast, when I was still in discussions and planning phases. If you heard my short episode on number 30, I was doing a bit of a short reflection on the collateral beauty of this podcasting journey thus far and talking about where I was heading with it. And I put it out there and mentioned that I've got some great guests in mind and I put it out there that I was super keen to get the great Michael Gervais on. At that time, I hadn't actually got any progress, but I was confident I'd be able to somehow convince him to make time in his super busy schedule to spare an hour to share his value with you legends. And here he is. I'm so stoked that he that he's gave up his time to speak with us. I truly could have spoken to him for days and as usual with all the guests, an hour just wasn't enough. But some of the things we discuss are what a mindset actually is and how to set your mind. We talk about emotional intelligence, imagery and visualization, uh, flow state, what it is and how you can experience it, truly understanding your philosophy talk about helpful habits and tools to help you get the best out of your mind, Uh, how he's taking the high-performance sporting mindset into the corporate world, and so much more that we discuss too. Make sure you stay tuned to the end as the gift that I give Mike is something I've never given any of the guests before, anyone ever actually, and I'm stoked to say that he valued it. And it kind of aligns a bit with my current 4040 challenge that Marty Vids put me up to in episode number 39. Now, before we hear from Mike, I want to read out this week's iTunes review. For those of you who have, I can't thank you enough for taking the time and effort to take those few minutes and give your rating and review. So today's one is just a short one by sweatshed girl and it's called so much golden advice and sweatshed girl says thank you robbo your podcast is absolutely one of my favorites i love everything you're delivering absolutely love it well thank you sweatshed girl i'm i'm stoked that you absolutely love it i absolutely love that you took the time to write that review and for everyone listening if you want a chance for your review to get read out just jump onto itunes give your rating and review it really does help the the show with its longevity and for us to stick around okay now let's hear from dr michael gervais mike what is a mindset and what does it mean to set our minds great so that's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot you know have a great mindset or you know set your mind and that's really the thought is if we set our mind 
And when we have a way about ourselves, that's what we call a mindset. And there's only a handful of different mindsets. When you talk to athletes to describe their ideal competitive mindset, they talk about either being smooth or they talk about being aggressive or they talk about being slanky. They talk about being chill. You know, like so there's lots of ways that people talk about, but there's only a handful of different types of mindsets. So a mindset is a particular orientation about how you think about yourself, the circumstances, and your future. And that essentially is what a mindset is. And I've heard you mention before that they, your mind or your mindset sort of works like a projector and a filter. Can you give us a bit of info on that? Oh, you've been digging. That's really good. <laughs> that, yeah, that's complicated. You know, that's really complicated because the projector piece is based on the operating system. So whatever your internal narrative has been for the last whatever number of years, and I'm going to put a pin in that for just a moment because I want to come back to how we shape narrative. But whatever the story, the narrative that we've been operating from, and we all have an operating system, that is the projector. So it's, it, it is like um, when something takes place, it's the, the, the science term for this is called an attribution. How do you attribute your involvement, other people's involvement, environmental conditions, you know, do, do you attribute actions and thoughts and behaviors to be um, internally driven, externally driven, permanent, temporary, stable, uh, or global? And those are how the filter works. I'm sorry, how the projector works. And the filter is, um, wait a minute, I, I, I skipped ahead of myself. The filter is based on the attributions and the projector is based on the narrative. So whatever your internal narrative is, is how you project onto the world. And whatever's happening in the world um, comes through a filter. And that's how our mind works. And the evidence of the filter is the attributions we make. How do we attribute or make sense of why things take place? That does make sense. And I could see how that could go very deep. And I always say that I believe the most powerful thing on the planet is the human brain. And we all have one. So I say to people, why not take the best version of it with you? Let's learn these kind of things like these filtering and projections and uh, at whatever level people are ready for. And you mentioned there about competitive mindset. When we talk about competitive mindset, how do you tap into this? I've heard you saying that you know you might ask professionals to identify what their ideal competitive mindset is and things like how does it feel and then how can you recreate that as a target? Yeah, okay, so... That is the crescendo. The ideal competitive mindset is the crescendo that when you're trying to get ready for an event or an activity, that what you're trying to do is get your joints loosened up, you know, your muscles heated up and your joints loosened up. That's the physical readiness position. And then the mental readiness is um, being able to drop into your ideal competitive mindset or reach for your ideal competitive mindset. And it just starts with the intellectual work, like what does it feel like inside of me when I'm at my best? And then you put a label on it, you put some sort of descriptor on it, like my ideal competitive mindset is fill in the blanks. And a lot of people will say like smooth focus. They'll combine a couple mindsets to make it kind of uniquely theirs. And and if you don't know what how you no, if you don't know how you not how, if you don't know what your best looks and feels like it's hard to reproduce those ways. And so we start with the end in mind and then we build strategies to get you closer to that more often. It's, that's not rocket science. That, 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 that's not hard. But it just starts with that intellectual work first and you know, taking an inventory of all the times that you've performed and what do you, how do you like it the most? Like, How do you like your state to be the most? Is that sort of emotional intelligence you know that that gets thrown around a lot these days is that essentially what you're talking about there when you know to know what it feels like and to label things is that labeling your emotions and labeling your feelings and how to tap into that again and recreate that emotional intelligence is multi-dimensional and part of emotional intelligence is being able to recognize your emotions and label them and the second part of emotional intelligence is being able to recognize other people's emotions and put labels on them. And the third part of emotional intelligence is understanding how our emotions are impacting our thoughts and our interactions together. 
So it's multifactorial, multidimensional, and I'm not talking about emotional intelligence in ideal competitive mindset. I'm talking about like more of the mental side, not the emotional side. What does it, what is, what is the state that you, and that's a mental condition first. What is the mental state when you're at your best? And you can slip into the emotional state just a little bit, but it's really not emotional intelligence. Like I wouldn't cloud those two. They, they would be kissing cousins, which is an odd term, but they're not exactly the same. So more of an energetic state as opposed to the emotional realm. Well, it doesn't have to be energetic either because it, be, it could be though, but it could be smooth. And that's just kind of a way of engaging and letting stuff roll off your back. Like a smooth athlete is just chill. Now, or it could be intense. And intensity, um, we're talking about like a focused intensity, not necessarily aggressive. That's getting a little bit more to the emotional state. So it's part of it, but not the main focus. It is more mental at this point. But I, I, I know exactly what you're picking up on. <laughs> and then when you talk about the the strategies, is that essentially another name for that being around the anchoring or the triggers? Yes and no. Strategies would be a little bit bigger term and an anchor and a trigger would be a smaller term. So strategy is an overall approach to be, um, to be switched on to your ideal mindset. And then an anchor could be something that you use or do. Um, as part of a strategy and same with a trigger. And I'd like to just unpack this just one level further, which is I'm a fan of strategies and certain tactics like triggering or anchoring is important, but I'm also more of a fan of like, know who you are, what does it feel like to be at your best and be about that now. And it like don't try to wait to be your very best or to be great later. And I'm not a big fan of pre-performance routines. I've lots of athletes I work with do like them, and there is a reason that they like them because um, it, it helps to kind of reduce the uh, chance factor. Right? It's like okay, at minute whatever I do this, at minute whatever, you know, t minus. Uh, 45 minutes, T minus 30 minutes, T minus 10 minutes, T minus two minutes. And it's all kind of structured what I'm going to do to switch on my body and switch on my mindset. And uh, I'm much more of a fan nowadays of being more fluid and um, using the unpredictable, unfolding unknown as an advantage to embrace the unpredictable, unfolding unknown that happens in life. So just get accustomed to it now and um, so it's not unfamiliar when you think that the stakes are actually higher. And then I'll put an asterisk next to that. That what, what does that mean that the stakes are higher? Because, you know, more people are watching. Money's on the line. Is that more important actually than the quality of your life right now? I don't know. Because if you decrease, completely decrease the quality of your life right now to a zero and you're completely miserable or negative 10 or whatever we would label it, like – Life sucks right now. <laughs> that's not that's not what we want. So the stakes are always high because we only get this moment together. That's it. Speaking of stakes being high, I'm curious to hear you talk a little bit about the type of work you did with Felix, the skydiver, because actually for everyone listening that doesn't know Felix, he skydived to Earth from a helium balloon type thing uh, into the stratosphere and correct me if I'm wrong here Mike but he set some world records hitting top speeds of over 800 miles per hour and was free falling for about four minutes and I was watching the video and I had freaking goosebumps and even my gut sunk when I watched him jump from up there. Yeah I mean what an honor to be part of that project it was a Red Bull it was called Red Bull Stratos Red Bull funded it and it was some of the brightest minds in aerospace got together with Felix Baumgartner to see if a human, Felix, could travel the speed of sound and without a capsule, you know, without an apparatus. And he, if that was possible, he'd be the first person to do it. And it re required going so far up into space, 130,000 feet, that when he leaped, and think about that, 130,000 feet, when he leaped from that stratosphere, there would be such little drag on his body that he could pick up incredible amounts of speed now, the brightest minds in aerospace were not sure what would happen as he passed through the sonic boom. You know, would his head and torso be traveling the speed of sound, but his 
the drag on his feet and his arms be at a different speed. You just think about the stakes, you know, like they're really high. But this was not like some daredevil stunt. This was a real aerospace project with bright minds dedicated to exploring the frontiers of um, this portion of aerospace. And I was honored to be part of it. I learned a lot. Um, and I was asked to be part of the project when Felix raised his hand and said, hey, listen, we've got the greatest capsule that, you know, we built this amazing capsule. We've got all the great technology, uh, physically unfit and mentally I've run into a wall that I am I'm now scared. And I've just run into, I've run out of tools to be able to manage my mindset, my emotional um, skills during this uh, training phase. And so that's where they included me into the project. And um, it's as it just so happens tonight, he's being inducted into the living legends of aviation. Um, and he's, uh, it's just an amazing feat that he's done. And he does, he definitely deserves that induction. Absolutely. Like I said, my gut sunk. I could only imagine how deep the work you had to do with him was to, to overcome a fear of something. He has every single right to be afraid of something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You mentioned there before about some of the rituals that the some athletes or people have, the pre-performance routines that you're not a fan of. I was just curious and just thinking about it. What what are some of the strangest ones that you've come across that athletes use to, to sort of hit their ideal performance state? That's cool. There's a difference between rituals and routines. And there's a difference between um, superstitions and rituals and routines. And there's all types of weird superstitions, you know, like I got to unleash, like for surfers, I got to put my leash on three times. I've got to, you know, chew bubblegum, whatever, and spit out and have two pieces of fresh bubblegum before I have my third, you know, one that I keep in my mouth. I mean, like just weird stuff. And it, it, the superstitions are born out of last time I did this, I had good results. So I'm going to do this again. And it's not a terrible idea. You know, it's like trying to figure out, um, a proper strategy for readiness, but the, they're so loosely linked that, um, they end up just kind of being noisy. And what they do though, is that they occupy one's mind from needless musing, maybe even destructive musing. So if you're thinking about, okay, is this piece of gum the right piece of gum? No, no, no. no let me, I chewed it five times. I'm going to spit it out. Let me find a better piece of gum. And you get a, reach into the bag of bubble gum or whatever and find a better piece and you chew it five times. You're like, ah, that's it. So let's say that takes 25 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute, whatever. During that minute, in progressively pressure-filled environments, it is natural for the mind to wander, to muse or explore or think about all the things that could go wrong. That's just part of how our brain works. So our brain is designed to scan the world and find what's dangerous, to filter out and gate out um, uh, all the noise to get to the things that are going to potentially threaten our lives. So it is when our brain is designed to do that and our mind is – so brain and mind are different. I just want to make sure that that's really clear. They're intimately linked but very different. If your brain is supposed to be scanning the world to find what's dangerous and then you're sitting in a ready room, let's say it's surfing or it's whatever and you're fighting, it doesn't matter. You're sitting in a ready room and you're getting ready to go compete. Your mind is looking for some activity because our brains also crave new and novel stimulation. So we're always scanning the world to find danger and we're craving new and novel stimulation. So while we're sitting in the ready room, our heart rate is kind of elevated because something important is about to happen, the context of the event. And then what do we do with our mind? If we haven't trained or conditioned our mind to appreciate now and to have a sense of stillness in this moment, then our mind is going to look for entertainment. The most entertaining story we can create is all the stuff that could go wrong. So what do we do? That's really uncomfortable. We know it's not productive because if we start thinking about and creating narratives in our mind about all the things that could go wrong, our heart rate responds appropriately, our breathing responds appropriately, we start to get keyed up, and we're still 30 minutes before we're about to go do something. And so that's a very agitated, anxious state. So what have people figured out to do? Well, let me chew gum. Let me search for the right piece of gum. It doesn't matter, but it's occupying mental energy so that they don't muse about all the things that could go wrong, they're focused on the silliness of the chewing of the gum. So when you really take a look at routines, it's to occupy time and to set your mind on something that you think will help you 
be more focused, more calm, and more energized in the right way. So when you graduate from a routine, you don't need those triggers. You just are. You are yourself at your very best consistently, whether the world is watching, whether there's real danger or perceived danger, or um, it's something that's the exact opposite, something that's very mellow and relaxing. You know how to be you. And so there's a undergraduate course and then there's a graduate course in being. And the undergraduate course, I think, is involved in um, routines and strategies that uh, are important. And then the second part is like just tr- literally dissolving that and, and working on being you authentically you in any environment brilliant before we dive a little bit deeper into this conversation i want to say dr michael gervais welcome to your life of impact (laughs) thank you yeah it's good good to be here thank you for having me and we've been connected through dr jerry remajida who is the head therapist uh, i believe at the seattle seahawks where you both work and i was an intern at the world athletic center a few years ago in phoenix now known as altus uh, where jerry does a lot of work and i went back there a couple of times and did the performance therapy program with jerry and dan paff and the other legends there and i heard you telling tim ferris uh, just recently on a podcast i was listening to that you really like soft tissue therapy treatment do you get treatments from jerry yeah, Jerry is um, at the Seattle Seahawks. There's a full medical staff, and Jerry is uh, the team chiropractor and um, does a lot of soft tissue work with the team. And um, anytime I can find um, squeeze in a couple moments with Jerry, I, you know, I definitely feel like I get aligned, and um, he keeps me together for for sure. Brilliant, brilliant. Now, Mike, you're a psychologist. You're a sports psychologist. Uh, you have your doctorate, but what do you consider yourself in, in how you see your line of work? Actually, also in with that, how do you explain your philosophy? Yeah, <laughs> good questions. They're loaded. And like, how do I consider myself? And then how do I consider myself in what I do? Um, it's kind of all the same. You know, it's not like I leave the house and all of a sudden, you know, I go to a, a job. Um, my philosophy guides my thoughts, my words, and my actions. And my philosophy is, and I would encourage anyone that hasn't written their philosophy down to do that alone work. And no one can do it for you. You can borrow other people's philosophy. You could borrow the greatest thinkers of the world, you know, um, the political leaders or spiritual leaders. You can borrow their philosophy. But I would encourage you to write yours down. And then I would encourage you of all the words of one's native tongue to see if you could get your philosophy down to 25 words or less. And then I would encourage the next level is to get it down into just a handful of words that you could get out at knife point in dark alley if somebody, you know, was deranged and said, hey, listen, if you don't know your philosophy, what you stand for, I'm going to gut you. But could you get it out then? That's when you know it's real. And I, you know, maybe that sounds dramatic, but that's how I think about things like, (laughs) is, is it really real? You know, so there's an intellectual exercise of writing down your philosophy, then there's the practicing of it, and then there's the actual being about it. And so, um, my philosophy is every day is an opportunity to create a living masterpiece. And I can dissect all of that and unpack all of those words. They're meaningful of all the words of the, of the, um, my native tongue. Those are the words that summarize how I want to line up my thoughts, words, and actions every day. So then my training is, as a psychologist, is just an extension of that philosophy. And the training is just a formal structure to sit on the the shoulders of incredible forefathers in the field of studying extraordinary men and women from a science perspective, and then all of their research. Um, And when I think, like when people ask what I do, it, it is complicated. I mean, the easiest thing to say is sports psychologist or high performance psychologist. And 15 years ago, people had no idea what that was. They're like, Oh, so athletes talk to you when they have like a problem. <laughs> and now people are like, no, no, no. Like there's only a couple things you can train as a human. You can train your body, you can train your craft and you can train your mind. And so I spend my time working on how the mind works and how we can train our mind to become our very best and how we can intersect and integrate 
mental training with physical and technical training as well. And on philosophy, is it, you know, a lot of people say find your purpose, you should know your purpose, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions around that. Is it, how can you compare philosophy to purpose? Yeah, good question. So um, philosophy is the guiding principles of your life. And it's the, it's the words and phrases that guide your thoughts, words, and actions. And mission and purpose is different. And so I like, I love the word mission. Like what purpose feels really big and almost daunting and maybe blasphemous in some ways, but like, um, I like mission. Like what's my mission? Like what am I lining my efforts up toward? And you can have many missions and big missions. Like for the Red Bull Stratus program, the mission was to get Felix down to earth, up to the 130,000 feet and safely down to earth. That was the mission. And so, so we had the, some of the brightest minds. We all were pointing our noses in that same direction. And it was a mini mission that lined up in all of ours, I think, larger mission in life is to, you know, explore the frontier of the human experience. So, so that doesn't, that's my mission. That doesn't mean it should be or needs to be anybody else's mission. But to really think, like we are smart enough. We don't, I don't think we give people enough credit for their behaviors. And um, like we are smart enough to say, what am I doing in my life? And taking enough time to listen to that question, who am I? What am I doing in my life? What is my mission? What is my purpose? If that you wanna entertain that question. And really listen. And there's three ways I think to do that best is mindfulness and really listen to yourself when you answer that question. Um, writing and because it's a forcing function to choose some words and then being in around and in conversations with wise people. Those three functions, I think, are the greatest accelerants for insight. And um, yeah, so it's I think that's part of the human responsibility. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, literally. And you can you can answer that question over a glass of wine, or you can answer it over like an intense conversation. Like, what are you doing? Brilliant. I love that. And you mentioned there mindfulness. Is there? Do you have any resources that you recommend to people to help them sort of navigate through mindfulness? I know there's a lot of different apps and resources out there. Do you have any go tos that you recommend? Yeah, that's a long that's a long answer. <laughs> so let, let me see if I can. I don't want to give you. I don't want to just give you a pithy answer because I think we're in a really important time in this in our world of people that want to explore the, the frontiers of the mind. And mindfulness has been around 2,500 years at least. It's an ancient tradition that modern science is, is finding incredible scientific and research-based results, literally changing the brain and changing the structures of our brain, but also changing our psychology, our well-being, our neurochemistry. It's phenomenal what's taking place. But I don't want to just give you a pithy answer and say, you know, read this book or and there's some legends. John Kabat-Zinn is a friend of mine. And if you haven't read his work, um, dive in, you know, and then I would say you probably only need one book on mindfulness, right? One book. And what Westerners want to do or uh, is we want to practice. We want to read, 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 read. And what I would like to suggest, what I've learned from the, you know, I've been practicing for like um, 18, 20 or somewhere in that range. And. I read one book and my and I wanted to read more on it, and my mentor at that time said, "Just practice, just do it." And so I'd I'd say read a book just to get some context, you know, or listen to an inspired interview from maybe John Kabat-Zinn or, or whomever, and then sit down and do it. And it's not complicated. I mean, it can be as simple, literally, as um, if you want to be mechanical about it, setting your timer for one minute, two minutes, six minutes, eight minutes, twelve minutes, twenty minutes, whatever. Research would suggest that the minimal effective uh, dose is uh, around eight minutes and the optimal, a more optimal dose is around 20 minutes. So set your timer and follow your inhale as if it were the only thing that mattered, as if a loved one, a loved one's life depended on you getting the inhale right. And then, um, and then follow your exhale as if a loved one depended on you getting the exhale right and see what happens. That's it. And when your mind wanders and you notice that it wandered, that's the moment of awareness. That's it. <laughs> that's when you've noticed that you're not present. And that's the gift. It's so it's starting over a thousand times. The goal is not to lock in for 20 minutes and reach, you know, some utopian Zen, you know, state. That's cool when it happens. Like, don't get me wrong. But it's like that the, the real work, the, the muddy and ugly work is noticing when your mind is off of the one thing, the Tao thing. And then having a strategy 
and the skills to bring it back to the one thing. Brilliant. I love the necessity that you put around concentrating on the breath there, like the, a loved one's life depends on it. Mm. Obviously, these are one of your, you know, mindfulness is one of your helpful habits. And as a coach, I think it's easy to look at achieving goals by setting the right habits into place. Obviously, there's a lot more that goes around that. And you know, teaching my athletes and my clients the helpful habits and replacing the unhelpful ones. But what are some of your other personal habits beyond mindfulness that allow you to perform at your best as as one of the world's best sports psychologists? Oh, look at that, trying to pad my ego. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. So habits. I want to be thoughtful about that phrase as well because habits are super important and they're happening all the time. Right now, how you're sitting is a habit. How you're listening is a habit. Um, how you're engaging with your own inner dialogue is a habit. So there's concrete habits like your physical body right now, the, your posture, and then there's um, mental and emotional habits as well. So when I think about habits, I want to talk about first the physical because like we can actually do something with those and they're easier to observe. But there's also mental and emotional habits as well. Thought patterns is what those are. So for me, like uh, starting the day is cool. It's a cool opportunity. And I've got a nice little uh, six second training that I do in the morning, every morning. And I want to, if I could put another pin in that for a minute, I'll describe that in a second. But you know, what's really cool. I don't think uh, we've talked about this, but um, the last couple of years, so it's been about a three or four year venture now. Coach Carroll, the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, um, he, here in the hallway, and he comes by and he says, Mike, can you feel it? Now, this is us going into our first Super Bowl. I was like, it's good. And he goes, God, it's so good. And so Coach Carroll is world class at switching on a culture. Like he knows how to switch on a culture to bring the best out of people. And my IP is really around how to train the mind for people who want to be their best, to do the, the, the mental skills training with people, to create robust psychological frameworks, if you will. And so we took his IP and my IP, we wrote it down on the back of a napkin because he said, do you think anyone out of sport, this is back to the hallway, do you think anyone outside of sport would be interested in what we're doing? I said, man, I don't know. I said, they've got, you know, there's got to be some, someone. He said, let's write it down. Let's just see what we got here. So we're in the midst of going into our first Super Bowl on the back of a napkin. I say that loosely. It was just a couple pieces of paper. We wrote down what we were doing. Then we structured it and formalized it in a way. And then we realized that that was kind of a curriculum. So he makes a phone call to the CEO of Microsoft, Satya Nadella. We have a meeting with Satya and he says, this is brilliant. He was four weeks into the job. He goes, this is brilliant. He says, I, I would really like this for my whole 120,000 employees. Now think about that for a minute, 120,000 lives. That's amazing. So we started small. We started with a group of 12. Then that went to, uh, no, it was actually 20, group of 20. It turned into 2,500 people and turned into 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, and then 30,000 people that we trained at eight hours a day. So we did 240,000 man hours of mindset training for Microsoft. It's awesome. It is incredible. And the reason I share all that for you is because one of the trainings that um, that we train with those nearly 30,000 people is what I'm going to give you right now. And it's part of the staple, one of the many skills that we, we challenge people to do is a morning mindset training. And it's 60 seconds long. And it just kind of sets your brain up in the right way and then sets your mind up accordingly and then sets your body up to follow. So the first thing we do is take one full breath. That's it. Your sheets are on. You haven't gotten out of bed yet. But before you check your cell phone, your emails, whatever, 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 before you even turn the lights on, you take one full breath because that is an ancient primal experience that says the that sends signals to the body that I'm all right. I'm okay. I'm safe. And so we take one full breath. If you want to take two, cool. If you want to take three, no problems, but just one full breath. Okay. The next, um, so that's step one. Step two is one thought of gratitude. Now, when you have that thought of gratitude, be about it, like be completely absorbed in it. It could be grateful that you've got two feet. It could be grateful that if you only have one foot that you've got, you know, one foot that works, you know, like it could be grateful that you've got a bed under you. And if you don't have a bed under you, it could be grateful that you've got fill in the blanks. Okay. So, so one thought of deep gratitude and feel it. And if you want to have a second one, go for it. But you got to be about it. 
Like really let it soak in and be absorbed in it. The third step is one clear intention. Now, an intention is a fancy word for how, not what, but how you want to do today. Okay, so this is not a goal setting moment. This is like seeing and feeling yourself how you want to be uh, today. And then the fourth step is uh, pull your sheets off and just put your feet on the floor and feel them. So you just take a beat right there. And this one kind of feels silly at first, but just feel your feet on the floor. And so it's just a moment to be grounded. And that's it. 60 seconds minimum. It's a way to start your brain up, start your mind up, and then get your body grounded. And um, so that's something that we've been doing at the corporate level as well for the last couple of years. It's simple. And it's just a great way to kickstart the system. I love it. There's a lot that goes into all that. I can hear, you know, the the simplicity that you put that title of simplicity on it. There's so much else happening there. I can see it. I love it. You mentioned there about uh, what you've created with Coach Carol, and I actually wanted to ask you why you got into that and what you're truly hoping for and why you put just such a big challenge in your life. But hearing you speak about it in that way and then impacting, you know, Microsoft is just one company you're obviously working with and impacting the lives of so many thousands of people there. I can see how that truly and this business with Coach Carol, the Compete to Create, truly aligns with your philosophy that you explained earlier. Yeah, that's exactly it. And so um, both of us really feel like we've stepped on a lion's tail and that lion took off running and like, you know, like there's just something really powerful about how to train your mind. And I know, you know, it, you're on it. And, um, and we've been doing it in the lab, if you will, of world-class environments in sport for a long time. And it just feels right to want to share that. And, so we're that's we've invested double down, triple down in a digital scaled platform to be able to share that these practices um, at scale. And so we built like it sounds cheesy, but it's it's so much bigger than this. But I don't know another phrase for it. We we brought in a CEO um, to help guide on the strategies. But you know it's a four week online course, and but inside of that course, it's not just press a button and see a video, you're being coached by sports psychologists and Olympians on how to train your mind. And so they support you and hold you accountable during the process. And then after that four-week course, um, and this is just right now for enterprise, it's not um, yet. After you're done with that four-week course, you're part of a community of people that we give a passcode for an app. And it's not a flimsy little app. Like it's a, like I'm really stoked on this app. And inside that app, every day, the Olympians and sports psychologists coach you up and get you kind of right to be, to um, to go, continue your training to make it a habit. And so that's where we started this long diatribe of like habit. Um, it takes real work. It takes time. It takes a commitment to shift a thought and shift a behavior. And um, unless it's so emotionally crazy that a habit happens in like – a habit can happen in an instant or it can take, you know, 60, 90 days. And if it's super intense and emotionally charging, you can fundamentally change the, your habit of your brain. And that's kind of what PTSD is and PTS growth, PTSG. Um, it's something so emotionally impactful it alters the way you see the world and understand yourself. But that doesn't happen to most people. <laughs> Powerful. Let's, I'm interested to hear you talk about imagery because a lot of people have heard about visualization and I use it. I teach it to my athletes and my clients through the mental training aspects. But I always say the power of visualization is when you attach emotions to the visual image, not just visualizing something and I know you refer to it as imagery can you dive into that a little bit for us and also for those of us who aren't trying to be elite athletes but we have goals and visions in our life we want to achieve can you explain why this is a powerful process and how we can best learn and practice this skill yeah cool and I think all of us not all of us it's maybe too broad but I think a healthy amount of the people want to be better they want to be better the better version of them. They want to upgrade their software because they know that there's more in them. And it doesn't mean that you will be the best in the world, but there's room to grow. And what we found in working in corporate, uh, corporate large corporations is less than 15%, 15% of people have formally trained their mind. And if you could only train th three things in your world, you know, like you can train your body, your crafting your mind, and you're leaving one third up to, I don't know, your parents or Muscle and Fitness Magazine or 
you know, women magazine to, to shape your, your images and your, your thoughts and your thinking strategies. Like it just seems like we've done a poor job in, um, in our education system to teach how to use our mind properly. And imagery is powerful. Imagery is very powerful and not to be, um, I don't know. I used to not talk about imagery a lot because I just felt like, ah, oh, everyone's doing imagery and talking about it. And, you know, the science is really good. And that's people already understand that's important. And then I realized, like, no, that was a bad assumption, Mike. Um, it's a skill and the skill can be cultivated. You get better at it. And you're spot on that that you want to make it as lifelike as possible. That's it. <laughs> just make it lifelike. And to do that, just requires a lot of mental control. And so we're always using imagery. That's how our mind works. It works in pictures. And are we using it in a uh, systematic, purposeful, disciplined way to explore the way that we want to experience the future? And I don't want to get out there. I don't want to be mystic in any way about it, but you certainly could go out in that limb pretty easily here. Um, you can be super concrete too. You could think about how you want to do your, your next presentation, you know, how you want to do your next, uh, whatever, you know, fill in the blanks. And it could be like, you know, you can go in that mystic world. Like how do you want to engage with a loved one? And like, you can go deeper into the emotional states as well. So I don't know, it's super powerful and the science holds up pretty well. There are a couple studies that say it's hogwash. Majority say it, it's really solid. I'm, I'm bullish on it. I'm buying. Um, I, I definitely am not shorting that skill by any means. And it's something I, I encourage athletes to do. And they already do it. It's just a matter of um, sharpening it up for the most part. So you obviously coach it like you just said. Do you use it for yourself at all? Oh, yeah. Like for sure. Let me like rewind. We're always using it. So like no, when you look at your planner and, and your, your diary or whatever it is that you organize your day with – and I saw that we were meeting today. I just spent a moment like, okay, where am I going to, where am I going to open up my computer? You know, how am I going to set that up? Um, I want to make sure that I have enough time to be properly situated so that I can give all of my attention, you know, like we're always doing it, but then to really lock in and train it, um, it feels like it's easier to do when there's something, uh, that is time compressed and important, like, I don't know, surfer going on to a contest, like, okay, or an NFL athlete, you know, thinking about their upcoming practice or their upcoming game. It's a little bit harder to do for folks that are in the corporate world. You know, what are they imaging? And they've got to use a little creativity to say, um, I want to see myself be successful today or in this presentation coming up or being a dad or whatever, like like you got to use a little bit more creativity. Makes complete sense. You mentioned there before that your friend uh, has written a book that you suggest we all check out around mindfulness. Can you just repeat that? And then off the back of that book, I was, wanted to know what what book has had the biggest impact on you as a psychologist and why? Cool question. Okay, so the gentleman is John Kabat-Zinn, and he's got a bunch of books and. Um, you, know, you could literally pull up <laughs> any one of his books. Um, and some of the ones that have been more powerful for me are, um, you know, full catastrophe living. It's, it's a big one. It's, it's a tough one. Um, but it's super good. And a, a little bit lighter book is a, kind of a classic, which is wherever you go, there you are. And so, you know, just check out John Kabat-Zinn and that's J O N K A B A T dash Z I N N. He's a legend. He's wonderful. Um, He's, I would consider him the father of mindfulness in America. He was the, the, one of the first that brought it back from a scientific lens from the East and said, hey, guys, there's something here. And so uh, he's a legend. And then for me, the, um, and I want to ask you the same question about your book, but for me, um, Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, Game Changer. Like, it, it's just something that, uh, that I'd say anyone that hasn't read it, like, or if you have read it, pick it up and read the first 120 pages again. You know, like it, the, fir the first half of that book is great. The second half of the book is really written for psychologists, but the first half is just phenomenal. It's uh, funny you mentioned that because that book came into my life at exactly the right time where I was <laughs> in 
places of making huge decisions in my life, in my career and relationships. And my coach that I was working with, that I still work with, he said to me, just read this book and then get back to me with with where your head's at. And it just blew my mind. It couldn't have happened at a better time and it just helped me realign everything, realign back to my core values, make my decisions from those kind of places and just understand, even just change my perception of things completely from that book. Mm, yeah, really good. Really good. That's cool. Mike, I want to throw a bit of a scenario question at you. I've done a lot of work and travel with individual sports, but we kind of travel as teams, such as track and field and also I travelled for a few years as a therapist uh, for the Australian Paralympic winter ski program and they were all the individual events. There was no team sports there. So the scenario is a group of potential Olympic athletes come together, Olympic or Paralympic athletes come together for a high performance camp. They have to come in if they want to make the squad and have a chance to represent their country. And they're all individual athletes who would be competing against each other and there's no team relay, so to say, and therefore they're not necessarily motivated into wanting their other squad members to be at their best and will not be asked uh, to, to share their recipes for success. So if you were running a group session... What are your suggestions for creating buy-in and authentic participation in these camps as opposed to just having their names ticked off the list? Yeah, I, you know, it's good. It's complicated what you set up there because, you know, it's people vying for positions. That also happens in team squads as well. Like there's always a depth chart. So you've got the starters, you've got the bench players, and maybe a third string guy. And only one person gets to play. So there's two others out of that three per position that are vying for that one position. And I, I think that it's really clear is that you speak to the individuals about them being their best and then remind them, like at this camp, um, the sharper you, uh, the, the, we're here to sharpen our swords. And that requires to be in an incredibly competitive cauldron of others. And I don't think you need harmony, but I do think you need intensity. And I think you need regard for each other. And in that, there is some, the artifacts oftentimes is harmony in a counterintuitive way. So I, don't, I wouldn't start with that. I start with like, okay, listen, our job here today or this camp, this week, seven days, two weeks, whatever it is, is to figure out how far you can go. And we need each other to do that. And so that's how I set up the tone of it. And then I say, you know, um, if you're here to just check the box, that's your miss. And... Um, when you bring your best, you're going to make other people better. But guess what? They're going to bring their best and they're going to make you better. And if we can get that done today and we go on our paths, our potential and our work ethic, you're not going to just make or break yourself in this camp. you know. And it's all the work that has brought you to this camp. And if that's not good enough, you, you, you might not be ready for the next step. And if it is extraordinary, then this is a, this might, could, be, could be a great next step for you. So that's how I think about it. You know, like I, I call it what it is, and uh, I'm not trying to create harmony where there's um, not natural harmony to take place. I could see that working in a corporate environment too, talking about before you're working with corporates and it's a very individual sort of place. I could see those kind of approaches working well there. And then I would remind people that no one does it alone. You know, even if you're the only person on the court or the pitch or the field or whatever, you know, even even if you it squarely is on your shoulders to um, execution time, no one does this alone. And you are part of a community. This is the community that we're part of in the next two weeks. And um, let's see what you got. You know? And so no one does it alone. Like that's just, that's a bad idea. Brilliant. It's, and it's yeah. because it, yeah, it is because through relationships is how we become. So anyways, not everyone's nice on the world stage. You know, there's more narcissists than there are than you'd like to think but a lot of fine tuning from your position there i wanted to ask you (laughs) about your thoughts on flow and the fact that we can only access it from a focused point and i know there's a lot that goes into it and two of the most interesting podcasts i've ever listened to were one uh one where you were interviewing both stephen kotler and jamie will from the flow genome project and also the episode just with stephen kotler actually even one of your recent episodes with the MMA fighter, I think is from Brazil, Vitor 
Vitor Belfort. Belfort. Yeah, mm-hmm. very intriguing mm-hmm. discussions, all of those ones. And I highly recommend everyone taps into your podcast. I'm going to put it in the show notes too. Um, but from you, oh, Mike, you. What, what is flow and have you yourself experienced flow? Oh, we all have. Oh, yeah, we all have. And flow is the most optimal state a human can be in. And by definition, you have your most optimal. Now, the question is the frequency of it. And there's, there's like peak flow and then there's variations sub, you know, just below that. But flow is it's the most optimal state. It's an absorption, a complete absorption at what you're doing. There's an immersion into the task that you're doing. Your um, awareness is heightened. Your action is optimized. And it's like you get a distortion of time and it's as if whatever comes up, you know exactly how to adjust, even if that thing that's happening is a mistake. Like it's amazing. And so, yes, you've had it. I've had it. um, And we can increase the frequency of it through mindset training and through conditioning our – or I'm sorry – designing our environment to stimulate it more often. And the original author was uh, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, Dr. Mike, as he's known um, colloquially, but Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, and he was the first researcher on flow. And so going back to his original work, I think, is important. And then Stephen Kotler um, uh, has added to that work for sure. And you know, one of the great le- entry points into it, not the only, but one of the great entry points into it is deep focus. And deep, uh, literally, like the capacity to put all of your essence into the thing that you're doing, that type of deep focus is required to enter into flow. And oftentimes, high stakes or risky environments are the catalyst for that. But that's um, there's there's catastrophe that can also happen in those um, in those stakes environments. So there's other ways: deep focus, as in um, you know, a deep mindfulness or a deep uh, meditative state, is another way into flow state or a complete absorption into what you're doing. And that just means getting out the noise, getting to the signal, and figuring out how to structure your environment and your internal environment to increase the frequency of flow state. That's the game inside the game inside the game. And by that you mean that you're not actually coaching people. You know, you can't really coach people to flow, but you can coach all the other aspects around it so then they get into those states that then they bounce into flow. Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly. Slip in is the word I would use that, you know, instead of bounce, but like slip in, you slide in the flow. You accidentally, you purposely design your life to accidentally find slow more flow more often. And it's rad. It's so good. And you, you know, you're in flow when all of a sudden you say, oh my God, how much time has gone by? It's like, wow, that was an hour. Oh, Jesus. Or, you know, like, so that the absorption of or a distortion of time is one of the hallmarks of flow. And that's when you're out of flow. Once you say, am I in flow? You realize, okay, I probably was, but I'm not fully focused now, so I've, been, I've <laughs> slipped out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Mike, I'm very aware of time, and I wish we had more time for this because I could literally chat all day. Actually, maybe I'll have to come and visit you over there, and I can learn from you and do a trade-off with treatments for you and your clients with everything I've learned from Jerry. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Awesome. And, you know, I, I appreciate what you're doing. I, I've enjoyed the conversation. Uh, you got a good way about uh, how you're asking questions. I can tell you're thinking deeply about things. So um, really appreciate being part of your community and part of this conversation. So thank you. Thank you. And uh, before we do wrap up, I'm all about taking action and teaching people that and not just to consume the information. But I wanted to ask what specific advice you would give to the listeners on what action they can take to become more impactful in their lives and in their communities. Mm, yeah, I love the applied nature of it. And I don't want to give advice. Like I, I think about advice giving as being super dangerous and irresponsible and, you know, because um, I don't know where people are in their journey. So I guess like the thought I would like to end with is that there's so much inside of us. There's just so much further that we can go and to really embrace that and even feel the pain of not knowing how and what to do to get closer to that more. And I'd just love for people to really get honest with themselves, um, feel that discomfort, the feel, and to know that there's so much more. There's so much brilliance inside of each one of us, and we just gotta get out of our own ways. And one of the best ways to do that is by conditioning our minds. And so, um, you know, maybe there was something in this, in this conversation that was like, ooh, that sounds good. 
and take it further. You know, do a little research maybe around it or just start like the philosophy or the morning mindset training or, you know, listening to your podcast more often or whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just hesitate with advice, but I appreciate the, the, the nod toward doing something, taking action. I love that, actually. That's a great way to think about it. Now, one of my top core values, Mike, is giving because I believe that giving is living and I give all my guests something for their time and abundance of value. And I know that you like poetry, so I took the time to write you a poem that I wanted to give you. So... Here we go. Mm. <laughs> so, wait, are you going to send it to me? No, I'm going to say it to you right now. You got to send it to me too, because I like to muse. I like to, I like to, I like to look at it too. Okay, I'll send it through to you yeah. afterwards too. You might not like poetry after this, but here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. His name's Javay, and he plays the game of setting life's mastery intentions. He's learned through life, no matter the strife, we can tap into our greatest inventions. If you hear him speak, your ears will tweak because of his genuine authenticity and he has the skill and the will to bring out your best ability. But don't be fooled by his authentic cool and think he's never been rejected. Ask him from before when he first met his mentor's mentor and he was told he wasn't ready and was dejected. He says our mind is like a design of a filter and a projector. If this is the case, I'm sure he projects his wife's face when he's meditating about his most perfect life ever. Legend. Oh, <laughs> oh, there's, some, there's some hidden gems in there that I know you had to dig. Yeah, the, the, the mentor part, I, th- I was going to ask you about, I thought we'll just leave that, let that hidden gem be there. I've heard you tell that story of when your mentor first introduced you to oh, his mentor. Yes. <laughs> oh, so good. Yeah, awesome. What a gift. Please send that over. I love it. And I'd love to hear more of those. So do you do that poems for a lot of people? No, no, absolutely not. I remember writing a few back in school and, you know, I've committed to do a, uh, I'm in this 40-40 challenge at the moment, 40 minutes every day for 40 days. And the the creator of this challenge has actually put me up to doing stand-up comedy and I've never done anything like that before. And, you know, I've, I've realized that I've got to do it because when he challenged me to do it, I just, I, my heart my gut sunk I had so much fear and I thought I've got to move towards that fear so when I knew that you like poetry I thought well I've never read out a poem on my podcast before I've never wrote a poem for someone else so I'll do that to help me break through those kind of barriers for the 4040 challenge that's what's up did you get your heart rate up I did actually it's still up a little bit now (laughs) isn't vulnerability like amazingly powerful unbelievable yeah good enjoy it yeah enjoy it thank you just quickly before we duck off where can our listeners learn more about you Mike on social media or website I'll link it all up. Okay, cool. Um, let's go inter- enterprise first. If uh, some of your listeners are in the enterprise business, I had to punch over to compete2create.net. That's the business that I was referring to for training the minds of people inside of large organizations. And then um, uh, my podcast, findingmastery.net. And there's loads of switch on conversations there. Thank you for mentioning. And then social media, Twitter is at Michael Gervais, and that's G-E-R-V-A-I-S. And finding, or, and then Finding Mastery is Instagram. So other way of saying that is on Instagram is Finding Mastery. And um, yeah, that's it. So there's, oh, LinkedIn. And I'm really starting to make a, um, I'm loving LinkedIn right now. So I'm really enjoying that, uh, that community. So I'm there as well. There you go. Michael Gervais, you're a legend. You're a genuine soul that is creating a massive positive impact in this world. Keep shining your holistic, authentic light to the world, my man. Appreciate those words. Thank you, brother. Great conversation. Good job, man. Really appreciate it. Let me know if there's uh, if there's any time for our paths across in the future and say hi to the boys for me. Will do. Likewise. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Proud, proud, proud. That's how I feel after having this legend scrape the surface for us in just a few of his areas of value. As you heard, we could have dived a lot deeper. There's so many different things I could have spoken to Mike about, but I'm glad that we could just get a little bit of value from him as we did. I did send him the poem after we spoke, and he said that he framed it, and it's going straight to the pool room. (laughs) Now, he didn't say that. For the non-Australians listening... That's a bit of a national one-liner from an Australian comedy with Eric Benner called The Castle. 
Now be sure to follow DeVay online and check out all the resources we discussed, which I've also put in the show notes for this episode. And if you know someone who will also get value from this episode, please share it around. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.